Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on Black and White and Red Little Over. I'm your host, Danny, coming to you for episode 122, a no funny numbers game this week. So we shall get on to the task at hand. So if you want to listen to this episode and your favorite episodes from previous weeks, feel free to like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, feel free to leave us a nice rating or review. I will bring back the threat of canceling the podcast if we don't get more more ratings, more reviews. We need all of them. Every single one of our listeners. The thousands that are out there. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, we actually have some decent and good things to talk about this week, hopefully. So let me bring in the career of Samuel Pressy. Hello, Samuel. I keep dancing on my own. Yes. So- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's the uh, the locker room song the Phillies have adopted this year. Yes. Yes, you are definitely on Philadelphia Cloud 9 right now, and no matter how Juventus does against Benfica on Tuesday, cannot spoil said high. Yeah, going to the World Series when you have no expectations of going to the World Series is yeah. pretty... Uh... Been there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you have. Yeah. Knocked me out once to do it. Too. Yes. Yes, it jerk indeed. <laughs> but uh, it's fun, and and it was fun, and it was actually fun watching you for once too. So it's just yeah. like it's been a great weekend. How about that, big baseball fan, Chucks? Hello, Chucks. Yeah, yeah, I know that they do something called home runs, and that's about it. Really, <laughs> that's, uh, that's uh, Bryce Harper yeah, that's did that. Of it. Oh yeah, <laughs> there you go. See, I I knew that full circle. Yeah, I was calculated. Um, yeah, no. Uh, let's get the show started and. Uh, Indeed, the more reviews we get and all that, and more ratings and reviews we get, the more we can beat the algorithm. So let's beat That's the right. algorithm, people. I, I know I know, I joke about it, but the ratings and the reviews actually do help us. In the oh, algorithms. yeah, tremendously. So. I mean, I've from podcasts, from other podcasts I've listened to, like just throughout the years, yeah, I mean, they're a game changer. Ra- ratings and reviews will, I mean, genuinely help you beat the algorithm. So, yes. so yeah, very, very important. Yes. Last but not least, Sergio Romero. How's your algorithm beating there, Sergio? Uh, hey, fellas, happy to be here. Uh, yeah, yeah, do that. Do the reviews, do the ratings. Everything helps. Uh, I promise to personally uh, say a nice thing about your profile picture if you do. That is my <laughs> I promise to you, the listener. It's going to be there's something really nice about your profile picture or something really cutting and gutting. Like, you know, I'm going to really focus on that one thing you're super insecure about and bring it up. So either either one, either one. It's it's a Russian roulette. That's right. <laughs> one extreme and the other, correct? Exactly. All right. Well, back to you, Sergio. What was your takeaway from the week that was? I assume it's something good for once. Juventus, yes. Every other sport, no. But, you know, <laughs> I think it was genuinely fun to see this team have fun again. It felt a little bit different Vibes wise for the team. And, and I think we all mentioned it that in, in the in the ruts that they were in, you know, it, it just it didn't even seem like they were having fun. Like they 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 felt checked out of the season and it was September. Obviously, a lot can change with when you're you know winning by four goals, but you could tell, you know, from the Torino game, which is a big game, is the Derby, 
And now this Ampoli game, I don't want to get my hopes too high, but it felt like at least the, the vibes on the team were a little bit more positive. Like guys were a little bit more engaged. They looked more, you know, just happier to be out there. And I think, and I mentioned that on, on the graph bag, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to call any game a turnaround or a, or a turning point until we on a consistent basis. But at least from a, you know, mood standpoint, standpoint, this, this felt a little bit different. So, you know, win or lose or, or, or you know, get bounced in the Europa League or not, uh, at least they look like they're having fun. And that's that's not nothing. When you have so little to celebrate, you know, that's that's good enough, I guess. Yes. Yes, indeed. Chucks, what you got? Uh, yeah, for me, and I totally agree with that, Sergio, by the way, this was probably the first, like, genuinely enjoyable game uh, of Juve in, I mean, a long, long time. Um, I mean, okay, the Sassuolo game, uh, the first match day, that was nice as well. But there's always this feeling of like, oh, well, we did this last season, too. And then, you know. Unlike us, Chuck, you had a honeymoon to go on where you didn't have to watch Juventus. So yeah. the best part of the season for you is probably that, correct? I mean, hopefully, and as the, I should say, the best part of my life. I should say, you know, um, as a, yeah, no, I'm not a follow for those tricks, uh, trick questions. Uh, usually, they are. Um, but the missus um, listens to the pod. <laughs> no, 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 Feel she free she, to uh, rate and review Andrea. <laughs> yeah, she should actually. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, besides that Sassuolo game, uh, which uh, yeah, again was very good. Yeah, this was also indeed a very uh, one of the first genuinely enjoyable games in a long time and even then it was like the first half was still a little you know a little iffy but yeah i just uh just to echo that from sergio's part but yeah in terms of the takeaway i mean for me <laughs> you guys i don't know listeners might know the the anime called one punch man and um you know because he's one punch and you know he kills him but anyway i thought of the one guy on the uv team who's similar to that but he's the one job man Philip Kostic, he has one job. He gets to the byline <laughs> and he crosses and that's it. And he does it well. He does it really well. Like, I mean, he sprays and prays, but I mean, he has one job. He gets to the, to the byline and I mean, kind of tries to beat his man or, or just whips it in right away. And, you know, he's good at it. He's like, it's, it's funny just to have that one guy. And I'm sure we've all kind of experienced this in our professional lives uh, to have that one person in the office or at work who's just who does just one thing <laughs> and just like you know i mean i've had that anyway and he's a nice guy super nice guy, good at the one thing he did but that's it i mean you don't really ask him to do anything else he just did one thing and then he went home and he moved on with his life and you know philip costage made me just uh think of that for just from the empley game i'm like wow he just has one job and he does one thing and that's I mean, defend a little bit, you know, I mean, just defend to an acceptable standard, which he does as well. And uh, it's nice just to have kind of, I don't know, you know, a guy who's brought in just to do one thing and he does one thing well, and then he just goes about his day and goes home. So, uh, yeah, put in some great crosses and uh, was was very happy with his performance as well. Very surprising that he had a very good game against Empoli in the formation in which he had a very good couple of seasons with Eintracht Frankfurt, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's and that goes back to something we said, uh, or that we did say, I think, in the preseason of this season, which it was, you know, please, Max, play people in their positions. And, you know, and again, I mean, that has clearly worked. Look at Adrian Rabio, who's had a, I mean, very good season, really, so far. Who, you know, guess what? He's been playing in his normal position, which is central midfield. And, like, wow, what a difference, what a difference that has made, you know? So, uh, yeah, clearly, that's just that was one of the things that we hoped for a lot at uh at the start of the season and uh you know in bits and pieces it's working i mean mckinney's still being played out of position often i mean this game he wasn't thankfully but often still gets played out of position but let's just play people in their positions and things will get better all right samuel what you got i got this is the second straight game that moisa kane has looked pretty good like against torino yeah he had that big miss on the sitter but overall looked okay. He he looked pretty good. He looked like he was getting into the right positions. He looked lively. And on Friday, he was he was really damn good. Um, you know, again, he he probably could have should have had more than the one goal, 
you know, the finish that he had, which was was pr- practically a carbon copy of the one he missed against Torino, and he scored it perfectly this time. And that goal that he got called back for offside, that just every time I see one of those, it just pisses me off with the offside rule in general, because again, I, I just don't think he had an, ad, an advantage in that position. But it's been a good couple of games for, for him, which is nice. Because if you can really have a third striker who you can go to and expect good performances out of, apart from Vlaovic and Milik, that really eases a lot of pressure. And it also makes things a lot more tactically flexible. It means that you can go with a two-striker formation and then throw a guy, a third guy on and say, hey, he can do it. He can do a good job too. It was, you know, when I saw that Kane, when I saw that Kane was in the lineup on Friday, I said to a couple of different people, I think including our Slack channel, that either Milik is still is still hurting from that injury he had a while back, or option two, Kane is showing something in training that's not translating to the games. Or three, Max is just an idiot. And it look it's starting to look like it might be option two, because, you know, like I said, you know, s- strong performance against Torino and a really good, really good match this week. Uh, it, it'll be nice to see if obviously it's two games. We got to see if he keeps it up, but if he does keep it up, that's a big shot in the arm to the forward line this year. All caps, Moise Keen back. <laughs> Not going that far yet. <laughs> I will say make some Moise. That's, right. that's right. Well, that that's a start, I guess, compared to, yeah. compared to what we have been unfortunately seeing from him basically ever since he came back to Juventus. So yeah. As we we've been noting and and alluding to, Juventus had a a good showing. Obviously, the one game this week was nice for multiple reasons because we didn't have to necessarily sit through Juventus uh, slogging through a game twice. We only got one chance to do that, and and luckily for us, they they had their biggest win of the season in terms of uh, the the final score with their first four goal game of the year. So. Uh, that was great to see. Obviously, like Sam said, Moise Keane showed some good things. As Chuck said, Philip Kostic showed some good things. Uh, as Sergio said, the whole team looked happy, which, you know, coming out of Retiro, that was one of the things that we were wondering, how united really is this team? Well, you know, they, they looked like they were having fun again, and they were celebrating like they were having fun again. And uh, even, I forget who it was, but I think it might have been Philip Kostic or somebody, or maybe it was Locatelli, but he's certainly, you know, making – Adrian Rabio feel the feel the wrath of his happiness with uh, some smashing of his cheeks yeah. uh, after one of his goals. So I think for me, the lasting image from the Empoli win is not necessarily anything that happened on the field per se. It was the fact that when I was writing up my post game thread, all the players, all the five players in Allegri's three five two to start on who scored. And I know the the ratings kind of shift a little, you know, a few hours after the game and all. But when I was writing it, every one of those five, it was off the top of my head, it was Juan Cuadrado, McKenney, Locatelli, Rabio, and Kostic. They all had ratings of eight or above. So obviously they did good, some good things. Maybe not totally all deserving of those ratings, knowing how who scored. Speaking of algorithm, how their algorithm works, but it was outside of maybe Dusan Vlahovic one of the better team performances of the year. And we haven't really been able to say that much this season, mostly because it's been Vlaovic doing a lot of the good things. So take it away, gentlemen. Where do we want to begin talking about an actual enjoyable Juventus win and not a one nothing grind fest? Uh, I think it's what you, what you just said is one of the big things is that, yeah, we had our biggest win of the season, but Dusan Vlaovic was very small part to it. And as much as you want Vlaovic to be in in form and 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 locked in, the fact that we can win any game four nil with Vlaovic playing the way he did is a really good sign. You know, if you can start spreading that burden out from him a little bit and make it so that he doesn't need to be doing absolutely everything every single time we go out there, if this team can become a team that can beat you from multiple different vectors. That only makes things better. It makes things more, far more difficult for opponents and it gives you more chances to win. So I was, I was really, and yes, it was amply, but you got to play who's in front of you. And I, so I thought that it was really good that we, 
we were a little bit more diversified in the goals today, uh, this week than than we had been seemingly for a lot of the season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's uh, the Vlavic kind of Vlavic's experience this season has been so like, yeah, just confusing because his stats are honestly, I mean, pretty good overall. I mean, they're not as stellar as with Fiorentina, but that was, I mean, super, super season. He had obviously the Yeah, the you la- think Fiorentina missed him this year? Sheesh. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because they got uh, Luka Jovic from formerly of Real Madrid and also formerly of Eintracht Frankfurt. And, you know, we, if you're a former Real Madrid player, he must be kind of, you know, doing something right. And uh, as far as I know, he hasn't quite come off... Uh, as expected. So yeah, kind of a surprising one there, but yeah, with Vlaovic, I mean, he's just had a, you know, a bit of a confusing season. Like I said, on paper, he's been, I mean, not terrible really. I mean, just overall pretty, pretty solid goal return and, you know, comes in with some goals here and there, but on a game by game basis and like performance wise, it just seems, it just seems like he struggled so much. And I mean, really not much fault of his own, just generally due to, um, well, the general form of the team, first of all, and then, Second of all, just through how Max plays, you know, sets his team up. It's not exactly to uh, optimize for uh, for a striker like him, or just to optimize for strikers. Period. <laughs> um, it's it's you know, it's kind of a it's slim pickings for strikers. Uh, let's just say under a, under a Max system. So you know, he's uh, yeah, not had a lot of a lot to work with, and still has that still has been able to you know score decent ish goal return. But I mean, I think the overwhelming feeling is that he's playing like. Well, I don't want to say playing below his potential. He's, I mean, how you, how you say it, underutilized, I guess, maybe, or... Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's... That seems, I mean, that seems appropriate, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, like, it just feels like he's... We know he's so much better than what what he's showing right now. Not, again, not necessarily because he's playing poorly, but just because of, yeah, the system of play and, you know, how the tactics of Allegri are not exactly... Uh, you know, playing to his strengths or just optimizing for him. But yeah, I mean, in general, just for how Juve played, again, like I'd mentioned uh, earlier in the takeaway, it's still kind of strange because, okay, you know, we won 4-0, but I mean, in the first half, it was a bit of a struggle, really. Um, I think I remember seeing, just kind of looking on who scored right now, I believe Empoli had something like 60% ball possession or something like something. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was in the 60, it was 60, 65, something like that. Yeah, yeah. 63% uh, ball possession uh, in the first half. And then they had only one shot fewer than, than we did. And yeah, for the rest, three corners to one. I mean, they really matched us in the first in the first half. And granted, after the first half, it was only 1-0. So it really all just kind of happened in the second half. And it, it really was one of those rare games. And, you know, we often complain about this issue with Juve where uh, you know, we have a very good first half and, you know, really come like flying out of the blocks and then we get progressively, progressively worse and just kind of drop. And well, that's kind of a second point as well. We drop to the level of the opposition, usually a poorer opposition. Yeah, we drop to their level and then, yeah, it's like, you know, why do we regress to their level? But this case uh, in this game, it was the opposite, really. I, you know, we um, started pretty poorly, <laughs> um, but then gradually got better and better and better and you know again looking at the second half stats i mean the second half was really clearly where it all just turned right around which again is unusual we you know usually have the reverse but um yeah the second half i mean we still funny enough possession wise was still 50 50 actually (laughs) um but uh we had 11 shots to three i mean that's you know clearly just blew them out of the water there five corners to one clearly just turned it on in the second half so uh yeah just kind of a surprising um, yeah, surprising thing to see there that Juve, we really, we often don't come out of halftime refreshed or like illuminated or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, this time we did and created, uh, lots of chances for once and actually put them all away and, uh, well, put enough of them away anyway. So that's a welcome surprise. And uh, let's hope it continues on uh, Tuesday. You know, we, we've mentioned it before and we will continue to say it, but this was a very good performance. A lot of standouts, like Sam said, Moiskeen showing, um, you know, the, the the first touch, the finishing touch, still not quite there. He probably could have had more than one goal, but he he's doing very well, just like in, in the buildup and finding himself in, in good scoring positions. He looks like he has a little bit of confidence back in his game, which was always such a huge part of what he did well. Philip Kostic, another guy that's, that's looking good as of late. 
Adrian Bravio, like the best midfielder alive, you know, not only scoring <laughs> goals, but, you know, actually doing really well. Like probably, I don't think this is even overreacting, the best stretch of play from him in, in probably since he became a Juve player, like pretty much every game that he's played this year, he's been, you know, pretty, pretty decent. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys that you look, even Juan Cuadrado, who, you know, had, had a, you know, a couple of few moments as, as he he's wont to do, but in general, he had one of his better games, Weston McKinney. Like we had a lot of guys playing to a level of expectations that, that we have for them, but you know, we've been here before. I mean, like we were here before, like, like, like Chuck said against the swallow, like against Bologna, like they can have this type of games. It's really just when they become consistent, that's when you can really, really say something because Right now we're, we're sitting here, we're, we're talking about what a great game, you know, this and that guy had. And then next week we might be sitting here talking about how completely horrible Juan Cuadrado was against Benfica or how useless Moise Keane was. And it, it's just been like that for two years, three years, four years now. So It's the story of our podcast, Sergio. It's pretty much, that's what it is. And it's like, listen, they need wins. They need to keep winning to to. If you want to believe any sort of hopes of, of championships or, you know, at worst qualifying for Europe next season, you have to win and you have to get those wins. And I'd much rather have a, a victory like like the one they had against Empoli than, you know, like the one that they had against Torino, which was a much more grindfest, get lucky once and, and that's about it. But it, it's really going to be when they start doing it against good teams and when they start to do it against bad teams consistently. I think that's when we can start, you know, talking ourselves into, into Juventus, maybe mounting some sort of a, of a comeback. And, you know, that, that those hopes got a, a big boost from the two guys that are suddenly training again. So that's, you know, if you want to drink that Kool-Aid, I think those two are even a bigger part of, of that, of that equation than, you know, than beating Empoli as fun as it was and as good of a win as it was. Yeah, I guess the, the question I have is how many games would they have to have, not necessarily winning for nothing, because, I mean, we're all smart enough to know that won't happen, but playing relatively well to be like, okay, this team is starting to turn around, not completely turned it around because we know, like Sergio just said, it can it can change, you know, in a couple of days. For me, it would have to be at least like a month or so, I think. Or, yeah. Which basically would be up to the World Cup, basically. Yeah. And then the World Cup break is here, which is great timing. All right. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> and also the consistency thing, it's to me, it's also mostly about, I mean, now we have these just two massive games against Benfica and, and PSG, you know, yeah, showing it in games like that would be would be a big thing for, for me to at least be convinced, like, okay, we're kind of turning a corner here. But But then again, I say that and also remember that especially, well, I'd say also last season and the season before that, we've had a big issue with, you know, as I've said, like dropping to the level of the opposition in games like, I don't know, thankfully now not against Empoli, but, you know, in games uh, against, I don't know. Uh, Copy Haifa. Haifa? Yeah, yeah, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was thinking more domestically, but yes, also Maccabi, of course. So yeah, with, with Monza, stuff like that. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Monza, yeah, Monza, yeah. Our well. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. Oh, man. It's a long list this season, Chucks. <laughs> yeah. These are the things you missed when you were on your honeymoon. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Thankfully, I guess. Um, but yeah, so I mean, again, consistency wise to me, it would have to be at least like a month of just, again, not four, I mean, hopefully four nil performances, but just clean sheets and just one nil, two nil wins consecutively for at least like, yeah, something like a month. I'll need to say, okay. There's some kind of consistency now. We've sort of turned the page from just a horrific start to the season. And now at least some stability to say, okay, we can get to the top four again. Uh, winning the title, I mean, hate to say, Napoli's probably uh, Napoli's well on their way to winning that uh, so far. But, you know, still a long. Ooh, they look good. Whew. Still, uh, I mean, still a long that. season. It's, yeah. it's, oh, yeah. it's Napoli. They'll bottle that at some point. Uh, you, know, you know, who does? But, but yeah, clearly a stiff... Uh, Still opposition uh, again this year. I, I think that another apart from the the two big Champions League games, the the derby against Inter is going to be an interesting point. If you play well and or beat Inter in, in that game, 
I mean, Inter have just looked, have been so up and down this year. And, you know, especially you beat Lecce, then you have the, then you're at the very least in striking distance of, of jumping them. If you beat them in the, in the table, that, that I think is going to be a very, very telling game to play against a, an Inter team that is not particularly in its best form right now at home. And, and to see if that's, if that'll turn into, if you can finally play one of the teams that you're supposed to be competing with one of the big teams and finally get a win in one of those games, which is something that Max Allegri has not done since he came back. To me, that's a, a major, major test. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with, with both of you guys. And I also think, you know, it's something, you know, it starts becoming a math problem, right? Like we talked about it last season. It's like how, how much of a, bad start can you have and still be in contention once the once the business end of the season rolls around i think for me to really think that this team has a shot of, of turning around is not only the performances which obviously you guys already discussed and, and we we need to start seeing more of, of what we saw against Empoli, but you know not just a one-off but i think they need to be within the top five spots top four spots you know Right now, they're, they're, they're gapped to the first place, which is Napoli, which are playing, you know, tremendous football, is 10 points. I think if you can cut that, and I know not everything is in their hands because Napoli has to drop points too, but if you can be within seven to five range, I, I think you're still in the, I think you're still in the hunt and that probably, that probably means you're sitting either in fourth or fifth place. I think... If you can be around there and, and you can see some improvement in the performances and, and you get some guys back, like I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit, but you know, you start, you know, you get a couple of games out of Pogba, a couple of games out of Chiesa, they look okay. I think you can start, you know, talking about a, a turnaround. As it stands, we still have to see more. It's it's a lot better to talk about a good game than a bad game. Uh, but that's all it is right now. It's it it was a good game. Let's let's see more before you know we start talking ourselves into anything. Yeah, Sergio, you mentioned that that five to seven point difference between Napoli and as of right now, that would give you either third or fourth place. Either you know that's basically where Lazio and Atalanta are right now. Um, you know, you look at the table, and I mean there are still some people who are not necessarily worried or looking at the table all that much, knowing that there's so much of the season to go and knowing that also so much of the season comes in the new year uh, that, you know, Udinese is starting to cool off a little bit the last few games. Obviously, Atalanta and Roma just lost. So there are teams in front of Juventus now dropping points, but it's just a matter of Juventus finding that consistency to make up those points and, like Sam said, be able to leapfrog them, especially when there's the head-to-head matchups because whether it's Inter, whether it's Lazio that next week, I believe, after the Derby, it's imperative that this team, if they want any chance of the top four, that they have a run like they did, what, January, early February last year, where it's the results aren't pretty, but the results, or the performances aren't pretty, but the results are, you know, essentially just kind of stacking up on top of one another. Yeah, and and it's also, it's worth noting that we don't play Napoli until, hopefully, Paul Pogba and Federico Chiesa are will be mostly integrated back into the team. January 15th. Yeah. They'll be more than available at that point, I'd th- I'd say. I'm not sitting here counting out opportunities toward a title. I'm still thinking top 4 and then go from there. But, you know, it it is going to be like you said Danny, those head-to-heads against the teams that are above them need to come off and that was the big failing as as well like last year like that we just did not beat well, i mean what was it again we didn't beat anyone in a top six, we didn't beat anybody in a top we didn't beat anybody in the top four last year on the top four right okay yeah yeah plus and hold on let me 20 22 season oh, while you're looking that up um yeah, yeah i mean that that was really you know that was the big failure of last season wasn't it like just the fact that we could not beat any of the big big teams and our direct competitors and which is funny because like first that was um i think was the season i think in the andrea pirlo season i think that it was the reverse where we were pretty reasonable against the top top teams but then it was against benevento and stuff that we were just totally messed up 
against the top eight, we lost and drew against Milan, drew two against in no, lost and drew one against Inter, lost and drew against Napoli, won one, drew one against Lazio, beat Roma twice, lost two, no, won one, lost one against Fiorentina, drew one, lost one against Atalanta. So that's three wins out of the top eight. Sound good. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, yeah. And that's out of, what is that? The top eight. Four wins. Sorry, no. Four, four, out wins. Of four, four, four wins out of the top eight. Yeah. And that's out of 14 games because seven times. Yeah. Yeah. Out of 14 games. So that's four I mean, wins out of 14. Games. We mentioned it a couple of years ago. If you, you know, you look at, you know, the big games against bigger opposition, whether it's Champions League or domestically since Allegri came back. It's that, you know, that tweet that essentially Sam just rattled off. You know, it's the three games against Milan. It's the four against Inter, the two against Napoli, two against Atalanta, two against Villarreal, two against Chelsea, one against Benfica, one against PSG. Juventus has one win in those 17 games. And, uh, you know, usually the cliche is like, oh, you you don't win the, you know, you don't win a title in the games against the big teams that you win it in the in the Benevento and the Monzas and the Camonenses and you know all those kinds of games but I, well yeah, that only goes so far of course that's saying you still got to be competitive yeah. in the big games yeah 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 it's like you know you can get away with like a draw and like yeah draw and a win or draw and a draw against like some big teams but yeah, I mean you got to beat like a few of them at least you know so and that's yeah that's just clearly been a big failure of Juve last uh, last season or two well I think we've we've all mentioned them at some point so far today and so we'll we'll use that as a transition uh obviously over the last couple of weeks uh Federico Chiesa and Paul Pogba have both returned to at least partial training and this weekend Juventus set up a friendly against I believe it was what the Primavera squad right where Chiesa essentially a friendly just for Chiesa to gauge where he's at in his recovery the Chiesa Trophy. <laughs> That's right. The Chiesa Cup. Church, the Church Cup, if you want to make it. You know, <laughs> US here. By all accounts, everything went okay because I'm just going under the assumption that no bad news is good news. So people are obviously foaming at the mouth to get Chiesa back on the field. And maybe to a lesser extent, Pogba, since he feels like he's a couple weeks behind in the returning to training process. But you know, Allegri has very much slow played it with Chiesa in terms of when he will be back to full Chiesa-ness, uh, and that's in, in January. So I guess, you know, we've got a, a Twitter question about it, and I'll hold off on that for a second, but are we, and obviously we're so far removed from the situation, we don't know exactly how they're doing training-wise, but are we expecting from those, anything from those two guys before the World Cup break, or is it whatever they can give whether it's 10 minutes off the bench in a couple of games. Hey, that's great. And we'll see you in January. I think it's mostly the latter. I, I think that you, you can't push them, you know, and expose them to that kind of, to the potential of really, really screwing up and, and losing them for the second half of the season too. Uh, Pogba, especially, you know, I think that Chiesa especially will, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him as a, as a, a super sub for some of, November until the international break, uh, once he comes back onto the field, especially if he manages to make the match day squad for a game like Inter or Lazio. But I, you know, I would, it would shock me if Pogba played. It would actually dismay me if Pogba played because that would, in my opinion, mean they're very much rushing this if Pogba were to play. But I, I think that as members of the starting lineup, I don't think until the new year. I, I, I honestly, you know, I'm kind of shocked that we're even talking about it because I thought I already made myself, you know, content with the idea that we were seeing both of those guys till 2023. So the fact that they have a shot at, at getting some minutes, you know, part of me really wants to to start seeing a little bit of what Max Allegri rightfully said at the beginning, but now it has become kind of a, a almost a meme at this point, but what the real Juventus is going to look like and you know, I, I do think it's it's important to have players of that caliber back in the lineup. But I think you have to remember with both of them, these are long-term projects. This is not, you know, they're in the last year of their country. This is not an Angel Di Maria situation in which you're playing for the short term. Like 
Paul Pogba has a four-year contract. Federico Chiesa has still, I think, three years left in his deal, and, and he's supposed to be a, a cornerstone of the project. So I would love to see them get some minutes in, in the second half, especially for Chiesa, who is not going to be playing in the World Cup. So getting some minutes be, before that break might, might be good for him. But if you ask me, like, would I just play it slow and rather see them more at full strength until 2023 rather than risk an injury earlier on? I'd rather do that. As much as I think they could give the team a, a shot in the arm, you know, just having a guy like like Samson, like imagine bringing Kies off the bench, like what type of impact that would make. I still think you have to think long-term. And if that implies, you know, sacrificing a couple games in 2022, games that you might have won uh, that you end up losing or, or drawing, I think that's going to, you know, end up being the wise decision when you consider that they're both supposed to be long-term pieces of, of Juventus. This is not, you know, if this season goes badly, well, it is what it is, but I'd rather have this season go badly than rush those guys back and, and you know, almost jeopardize next season as well. So I'm happy that they're, they're you know, the rehabs are going well, but if it comes down to it, I, I'd much rather Max to, to play it as safe as, as humanly possible. Good part there is that Max, that seems to be the only way Max knows. Uh, <laughs> well, let's hope he actually lives by that, considering yeah. this. Right. <laughs> I guess kind of just going off of that for a minute here, just looking at the schedule, Juventus's last game before the World Cup break is November 13th against Lazio. France's first World Cup game is a week and a half later. How much do you think Juventus is going to have to be telling Paul Pogba if he is not fully match fit to be like, you know, hold off big fella. This is, this is about more than just a world cup because you know, if we're coming down to that last week or two and he hasn't come back yet, I have a feeling he's going to be knowing how he initially started this whole rehab process, not going in for surgery that he's likely going to be pushing pretty hard to try and at least get a few minutes in those last couple of games that Juve has before he goes off and, and tries to defend the World Cup with France. Right. And that's and that is a thing too, because I think Didier Deschamps has said in no uncertain terms that if he hasn't gotten much in the way of minutes before he uh, before the World Cup break, he won't take it. That's going to be a very interesting scenario, because Pogba is going to. You're right. Pogba is going to be trying to push for that. That's his whole. This entire rehab has been fixated on getting back in for the World Cup, which is hilarious because if he had just gotten the damn surgery before when it initially happened, then he would have probably have been playing already. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like, like Danny was doing, I was looking at the schedule as well. Um, so, I mean, we have six games before the world cup starts. I mean, two of those games are in the next, I mean, six or seven days or so. So we can basically cross those off in terms of um, Kiesa and Pogba playing. So that leaves uh, yeah, four games uh, before the world cup. So that's against PSG on November 2nd. Then Inter four days later, then Verona four days after that, and then Lazio three days after that. So, you know, those last four games are within, let me see, 11 days of each other. So that's, I mean, that's obviously going to need some squad rotation. You're going to get a lot of fatigue there. And, you know, just, yeah, people need some rest. So I imagine if they get any minutes, surely it would be like, Neither the last two or the last two or three games against the uh, Inter Verona Lazio, yeah, two of those games, two of two of those uh, games. I imagine maybe we'll see them play a little bit. And I mean, in terms of the squad selection, just for Pogba, um, I think provisional squads are being announced right now for the World Cup. I know that the Netherlands announced theirs. I was trying to look on my phone to find the article. Uh, well, I can't find it right now, but yeah, Van Gaal, um, he has announced his like provisional squad of like, I don't know, 30 something players or 40 some players. Like, you know, just, I mean, this is obviously the squad that's like, all right, just throw everyone in there and then, you know, gets cut down to like, uh, forget what it is, 20 something or so. I think um, it's 20. Is Are they a, I think it might be 26. I think it might, yeah. Are they yeah. keeping it at 26 now instead of just 23? Oh, I think I did find the article actually. So, um, so yeah, for how anyway, he announced 39 players for his provisional squad. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's, like I said, it's just like throw everybody in there and then just kind of see, I know one says, uh, 23 to 26 players, uh, you can announce, yeah. let's see, 
yeah, 23 to 26. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I know some people have talked about maybe not taking the full 26 because that just means you're trying to juggle a couple of extra names and egos and worry about playing yeah. time for a couple more people. Yeah. Yeah, because so you obviously might... want at least 22, I mean, because, you know, one one substitute for each. Yeah, isn't the usual player. 23? It's been 20. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah it's been yeah, 23. It's been 22 plus one. Yeah. And the Euros were 26 because of the pandemic. I don't yeah. know if FIFA has decided to keep that for the World Cup or not. Who knows what FIFA does? Either. Well, you know, the funny thing is, I was just reading again, just reading this article here about uh, Fajal's uh, selection. Um, apparently, in the provisional squad, you were allowed to announce 55 players. <laughs> In your provisional squad. That's like just going on the street, be like, yo, you want to be on team, man? Oh, come on in. Yeah, come on in for like two weeks. You can be on team, man. You tell your mom you're on provisional squad. And then, well, obviously you're not going to make it. It is 20. It is 26. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just yeah, the provisional squad is a funny thing, but, but yeah, anyway, I mean, so yeah, those are being announced kind of, you know, as we speak, I mean, the Dutch one was announced just two days ago. Yeah. just uh, on the day of uh, the Juve game. And then, the final selection has to be announced on f- November 14th. So that would be a day after the Lazio game. So, yeah. yeah ba- basically, basically when everybody's flying to Qatar. Right, right, right. Really, I mean, at the, by that point, you, yeah, I hope you've already got your uh, flight booked because otherwise, uh, I can tell you from experience, it's going to be very expensive <laughs> if you don't, uh, not that I've flown to Qatar, but just flying last minute. Um, but anyway. So, yeah, I mean, that just means that, you know, again, the day after the Lazio game is when we would know definitively, I mean, unless he announces early. I mean, I guess some coaches would announce, like, their final squad earlier than that. 14th just doesn't drop that date of, like, okay, this is the last day you have to yeah. announce your final squad. Basically, he's bound to be in the France provisional squad. It's right, the, right. It's the final, yeah. obviously, the final one that matters. Yeah, that that's more. the question. But, I mean, basically, there's time. And then, I mean, what Deschamps could do is just basically wait till the very end to kind of make that decision. No, I mean, that, I that's, abs- that's absolutely what he should do. Yeah, in this case, yeah. You got to believe, knowing knowing who Deschamps used to work for, that he's still probably got a few connections, probably knows a few people still around at Juventus. So he's he's probably talking to more than just Pogba at this case in terms of how how the rehab's going, but... Uh, we won't turn this totally into a France national team podcast, I promise. Uh, but there, there is the Twitter question that is going off of this from, uh, actually speaking of former Juventus employees, Daniel Robertson at Daniel underscore Rob 27. How do you see Pogba fitting into the midfield as he returns? Ironically enough, his natural place is where Rabio has been playing right yeah, now. So that's say, the, <laughs> that's the interesting bit. How do you keep the the best midfielder midfielder in the world, CC Sergio Romero, uh, <laughs> out of the starting lineup? It's I mean I mean we did see Rabio play on the right of the midfield right side of central midfield when yes. he was playing with Miretti earlier this year, and he's done it in years past. He has yeah. So he he is. I mean, I think that that's, that's relatively plug and play. He'll either he'll play. And I think he'll probably just kind of be either end of the midfield around the Regista, probably with Rabio on current form with Rabio on the other end to me. And I don't want to hijack the question before everybody else answers it to me. I think that, well, no, at, at, everybody else answer the question. And then I want to pose a corollary to that question. Well, Sergio, you go ahead. You know, I, I think that that's, that's the problem now. I, I think it's going to end up, you know, switching around a, a lot of guys in order to, to make them fit. I think it's a good problem to have in, in, in the sense of, I don't know if I can play this guy just because the guy that's already in, in his ideal spot is having such a good season that, you know, makes it hard to bench him. But, you know, when it's all said and done, and I'm, I'm a, as big of a fan of, of Ravio as the next guy, you know, Paul Pogba has the, you know, has the bigger deal. He, he you know, his, his contract's not expiring at the end of the season. I think when push comes to shop, you know, if Pogba is better suited to that spot, they're going to give it to him, no matter how good Rabio is playing. And, you know, Rabio, for, for all the crap that we give him, he has been willing to step up in other spots. So, you know, theoretically, he could, you know, be the other box-to-box guy. 
if Max Larry continues to tinker with to to tinker with the the positions, who knows? You know, maybe maybe we're talking about you know them playing a four man midfield, three man midfield, a double pivot. At this point, who knows? But you know, I think overall it's a good problem to have the fact that we don't really know where to fit Pogba right now because of all you know how well other guys are playing. Rabiot Trequartista. With with Rabio's contract expiring, I mean, would they explore selling him for a nominal fee in January? Because that would be pure profit anyway. I mean, I doubt it unless it's, unless it would be absolutely necessary. I mean, (laughs) yeah, especially with the injuries we're having. I mean, they'll do the European football to whatever the equivalent of of a sign and trade is, you know, get into a contract and then (laughs) flip them. And then then they'll be properly rejected because Mama Rabio asked for way too much money. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but yeah, no, I mean, I'd, I would think not, like I said, just given, I mean, all the injuries we're having. I mean, you know, as we speak today, news came out that uh, Leandro Paedes is uh, injured for another two weeks. And I mean, I know we're just having people drop like flies. So I think it would be risky to do that. And just with Pogba as well, just, I mean, you know, okay, if he's going he's gonna to be fit, but I mean, Lord knows he's clearly had an injury history. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, Think that would be risky but yeah in terms of um Pogba playing i echo sergio's uh, thoughts i mean it clearly i mean he is just generally the more talented player so i'm pretty sure he would once he's fit and kind of match ready again he would probably slot right into rabio's spot the question is is really what formation would we then play i mean would we just would we stick with or would we play 4-3-3 again? Would we play 3-5-2? Well, actually, I should say, would we play a three-man central center midfield or would we play a two-man center midfield? Um, that's really the question because, I mean, if we stick with three, then it's just, yeah, Pogba just slaps, slides right into Rabio's spot and everything is just as it was. But if we go to a two-man center midfield, then I can see Rabio or um, Allegri do, doing something like playing Rabio on left center midfield and then Pogba next to him and then just a whole, like, wonky... 4-4-2 kind of formation again and that that would be uh i hope not i just yeah i wouldn't like that <laughs> therein lies my the corollary that i have to this question which is i it is a much more interesting debate of of how do you get chiesa into this team All right. than how do you get pogba into this team because the options are the options aren't necessarily the, the greatest. Honestly, you know what would be I mean, obviously Di Maria is gonna play when he when he's fit more often than not, I would assume, whatever kind of shape he's in come January. But I know it sounds kind of weird, but almost like something like what Pirlo did, where yeah. it's basically, you know, a hybrid kind of formation where defense it's one thing, offense it's another, and Chiesa can just kind of do his thing out on the wing and or is he going to even be allowed to play on the wing cuz like i've uh, what was the what was the report this week saying that that allegri is considering three options with chiesa one of them one of which is a 352 in which he's playing as the seconda punta like he said that he could do last year and i'm just like talk about your potential head desks if he thinks he's going to try that again but it's far more of a question to get you know to me like you said Di Maria is is playing if he's fit that means you've got Chiesa on the left side either as a winger in a 4-3-3 which demotes Kostic but that's I I, that's frankly fine by me you you go with a 3-5-2 you put Chiesa in the front two then you've got Kostic but then where do you play Di Maria you play him as a wingback you play could play Chiesa as a as the wing back as well in a three five two, but I don't think you want Chiesa to be giving Chiesa that much in the no, way that's, of that's a lot of running of running <laughs> coming off of a knee injury like that. So it's a difficult call, and I have a bad feeling that Allegri is going to indulge himself when it comes to messing with people's positions in that scenario just because he's, he's going to try to shoehorn a lot of guys in. Unless, I mean, another option could be, you know, putting in a, a like something like a 4-2-3-1 and with Kiz on one side, Di Maria on the other, and put Pogba in as the Trey Quartista. And then you get the number something 10 like after a, all. 
He is number two. He's number 10. And you put somebody like Locatelli and Rabio in the double pivot. Again, you lose Kostic in that scenario, but you get to use him as a super sub. And that's not all that shabby an option, especially because it you can with with Chiesa, you can play him on the right or the left. So you get to pick and choose who, you know, who moves in that situation. But it's going to be very interesting to me to see whether or not Allegri starts tinkering too much trying to put Chiesa into this into this lineup and ends up like you said Chucks earlier and like we've been saying all for for a long time with him just not putting guys in the right spots yeah I mean definitely uh, Chiesa is going to be the bigger yeah challenge to put back in I mean again a good problem to have and also I mean I mentioned injuries but you know once everybody's back from injuries then well, that's that's assuming everybody's going to be back from injuries. Yeah, yeah Lord knows. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I mean, both a good and bad problems have mostly a good problem, I guess. But um, and next yeah, year, see. I assume you just throw Chiesa back out onto the right when when Di Maria goes back to Argentina. But if he does, he'll go. He's not going to stay. <laughs> to be continued. And after the and after the last couple of months, I don't think Juventus is particularly interested in uh, <laughs> in trying to convince him. Just again. The high of of this season was Las Vegas friendly, right, Sergio? It, it remains. It remains so. <laughs> All right. Anything else, fellas, or shall we land this plane? Yeah. Let's. Or are there are there other other Twitter questions than that? There one, is or? not other Twitter questions. Somebody forgot to post about Twitter questions until we record. <laughs> Very good. Uh, <laughs> then let's oh, land talk to that person. Yeah, let's, uh, let's make a gentle <laughs> landing. <laughs> All right. You got it there, Chucks. Well, we appreciate our, our, our Twitter question from Daniel. He's always a, a good follow. And like I said, a former Juve social media manager, something like that. He did something on the digital side. But anyways, uh, if you want to send us Twitter questions, feel free to do so at Juventus Nation is the Twitter handle. Follow us there as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Just search black and white and red all over. Same search tool for your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, feel free to rate us and review just like uh, Mrs. Chucks will be doing once we she listens back to this episode and hears her name drop. So for Sam, for Chucks, for Sergio and producer Couch, this is Danny saying thank you very much for listening and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye.